When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, how's it going? This is Matt here from Silver Fortune. So I want to take some time today to talk about a recent news item that I had seen that I found uh, very interesting. And it's regarding a East Asian prime minister who called for, for a potential gold currency or being using gold as a currency for trade among East Asian countries. And of course, the, the prime minister I'm referring to is the prime minister of Malaysia, Mahathir Mohamed. And, and the idea behind this was, again, not to use gold necessarily as a, a currency within his own country for, for commerce, although you know those types of ideas have come up in the past, I think, in Malaysia, and I think he's oftentimes the one that's bringing them up, but more so to be using it as trade across borders. Essentially, the idea behind this is to decrease demand for dollars or, or decrease reliance on the U.S. dollar system, both for, I think, economic and political reasons. Now, this is not a new idea, right? Russia and China have worked together on these types of things in the past. Not necessarily using gold for trade, but doing things like like setting up exchanges, uh, uh, markets in that, that are set up in uh, Asia or in a non-US or non-Western market. So for example, like the Shanghai Gold Exchange or other exchanges, markets uh, used to, to price commodities or, or precious metals or what have you in a way to, to diversify, not only away from the dollar, but the Western uh, financial system, which is not something that China can, can totally do considering their, their current actual uh, dependence on, on the Western financial system and certainly the United States and, and our demand and, and, and our dollar demand uh, dollars that we use when we buy their goods, the, the things that we have demand for, but in a way to, to diversify away from the dollar, the Western financial system, away from the LBMA, away from the COMEX, right? And, and this is kind of in that same uh, uh, um, line of thinking, this, this proposal by the Malaysian prime minister. Now, do I think that this is going to come to fruition? Not necessarily. But I think the big point of this is that there is a desire among leaders in different Asia, and this is not by any means specific to Asia. I think this is the case for a lot of other leaders but in other countries. But, but there's a desire to, to move away from the dollar, again, for both economic and political reasons. In fact, you know, this, uh, I was reading an article here uh, over on DW about this, right? and they, they actually you know, got a quote from Adrian Ash, who's the director of research at the investment firm Bullion Vault. And, and he you know, points out, this is a quote, Ash points out that given Malaysia's stable economy, there's no urgent economic reason to try and boost confidence in the Malaysian currency, nor other East Asian currencies. And, and he's right. I mean, things are not that bad in Eastern Asia or Malaysia right now. And so maybe there's some political reason for this. Again, this article points out that this suggestion came just days after the Trump administration named Malaysia among nine countries that need close scrutiny as a potential currency manipulator. But, but this type of, of sentiment, which again, I don't think is specific just to Mahathir Mohamed or just Malaysia, 
but but Eastern Asian countries as a whole has a huge potential to um, you know, upset the status quo, right? De-dollarization. Uh, how many times have I said it in, in the past when I've talked about de-dollarization in more detail uh, that that I, I think this is ultimately not going to be uh, one major blow to the dollar that's going to to suddenly destroy and it's destroyed and it's just going to collapse overnight. No, I think it's going to be more so a death by a thousand cuts, right? When China starts to do things like like uh, crude oil contracts, crude uh, future contracts denominated in the yuan. Or when Russia and China uh, sign trade deals like they did, uh, I think, uh, late May or early June. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet... You can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Which um, are done with the goal of, of exchanging it in their local currencies, the yuan and the ruble. Those types of things are, again, the death by a thousand cuts. Those are just another cut to the U.S. dollar. I mean, the U.S. dollar and its global dominance dates back to kind of the post-World War II era, the Bretton Woods Agreement. Um, as well as into the 60s and 70s and the uh, the petrodollar system associated with Saudi Arabia. But but since then, I mean, the dollar, what it has supporting it right now is is a couple different things in terms of, of what's keeping it afloat. You have trade, right? And that's oil trade, that's goods, commodities, even services. All of those things are, are helping hold the dollar up. To some extent, you have demand from foreign central banks, using the dollar as a currency reserve, forex reserves, okay? You have investment demand for the dollar and dollar-denominated uh, uh, products, uh, treasury bonds, etc. And then debt. I mean, debt is another one that sometimes isn't quite understood, but but emerging markets carry a large amount of dollar debt, which means when it comes time to pay off those dollars, that's demand for dollars, right? And so, the, I mean, those are just a couple of the things that are kind of keeping the dollar afloat. But, but when all of a sudden you see countries like in Malaysia, not, not maybe by any means seen as a powerhouse economy, I, I guess. But, but when you think about Eastern Asia, even just Southeastern Asian countries as a whole, there's actually some pretty large economies there. I mean, we're talking Malaysia, which is right next to Singapore, right? That, that small city state. Indonesia, uh, Philippines, which... Uh, you know, with with their their current leadership, maybe they would diversify away from the dollar. But then you have uh, uh, countries like Thailand, Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, uh, Myanmar, Bangladesh, right? Uh, technically, you know, Japan, South Korea, Taiwan, and, and then you have some bigger names too. I mean, India uh, getting a little bit more, you know, uh, subcontinent-ish, uh, maybe not so much Eastern, but but certainly more Eastern than than the Middle East or something. Uh, you have China; that's a huge one. Uh, Mongolia, uh, Russia is is part of Eastern Asia, right? And and once you start to bring some of those countries into the equation, now do I, do I think China is going to sign an agreement like this? Probably not anytime soon, but but you never know. I mean, with some of these some of these Southeast Asian countries, uh, again, a death by a thousand cuts. And if something like this comes to pass, um, you better believe that that's going to again be an, another major cut to the U.S. dollar. 
right? That's going to uh, decrease their reliance on the U.S. dollar for things like trade, uh, potentially even think for things like like debt, right? Maybe they start taking out loans in the yuan or, or some of their local currencies, right? And and then you don't have that future demand for the dollar in the future. And, and this isn't again, this isn't just an Eastern Asian uh, phenomenon, right? I, I think there's a similar sentiment elsewhere around the world. So, for example, we, we've all been hearing about Iran lately and and, and the uh, conflict that the U.S. is, is you know, potentially heading into with Iran and, and the sanctions we've placed on them. Well, you know, one of the biggest consumers of Iranian oil, which is now sanctioned, is Europe, the EU, right? They have a huge dependence on Iranian oil. And so what have they been doing? They've been pushing for a swift alternative. Swift is a... As a cross-border transaction tool for, for things like trade and for uh, uh, financial institutions that is a U.S. part of the U.S. dollar system, right? And, and they've actually put into to practice. Um, I don't know how widely it's been implemented or, or if it's just kind of a, a, um, something that can potentially be used, but, but a swift alternative, right? Um, and, and if we start seeing the EU using something like that to get around these U.S. sanctions or get around the SWIFT system, I mean, how long is it before countries do this on a widespread basis? How long is before is it? How long is it before we start to see? I don't know. Um, you know, India or, or China or Southeast Asian countries do the same with Iranian oil or, or with whatever countries' goods that are currently on the United States uh, um, bad list, right? Uh, now, again, I mean, death by a thousand cuts, that's a, such an important idea, right? Uh, things like like Russia diversifying out of U.S. treasuries. It's small. In the whole scheme of things, their treasury holdings paled in comparison to, to China, to uh, uh, Japan, to, uh, to bondholders here in the United States. But again, it's it's something, right? And especially when you see these countries then choose to diversify into gold, uh, the gold is is in many ways an antithesis not only to the dollar but you know fiat currencies as a whole, the current financial system as a whole. So that's really the story in all this, and and I find these stories incredibly interesting. Even if you know these these countries don't begin to use a gold uh, uh, standard for for trade, uh, even if we just see them begin to use uh, some sort of regional currency, right? Um, let's trade between Malaysia and Vietnam in their own currencies. Or if, if we start to see them use, uh, uh, you know, the yuan or the rupee, right? Some of the larger regional currencies. Again, that's going to further decrease demand for the dollar. And it's going to be, again, it's not going to be an overnight process, but but over a number of years or even decades, uh, that's going to be the story here. The, the, the political and economic reasons are, are just too strong for some of these countries not to choose to diversify. So as always, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this video down below in the comment section. Thank you guys from the bottom of my heart for watching this video, listening to this podcast, and God bless.